I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Mindfulness and, and somebody by the name of Dr. Bird. Uh, anyway, I hope I got your interest. Uh, he's a guy who had a huge shift in his life not that long ago and is uh, heading down a very uh, particular path. We talk about excellence in healthcare, we talk about music and art, healing, and about biopsychosocial health, whatever the heck that means. And, and we talk about how uh, we need to integrate all of these things in a new and a much more um, uh, meaningful and patient-centered way. So listen, uh, you're going to love uh, this interview. Mitch has got a lot to say. Uh, oh, uh, we talked about uh, the industrialized system, which is uh, pretty interesting. I think you're going you're gonna to want to hear more about that. Uh, DavidPeckLive.com for more um, interviews and podcasts. Uh, we're adding one at least one a week right now. And uh, thanks for listening. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today, uh, a radiologist, my first radiologist. We're about to publish over 170 interviews, uh, 75th interview, I think, on Face to Face, and I've never interviewed a radiologist before. So Mitch Abrams, is it Dr. Mitch Abrams? Is that uh, Yes, yep. It yeah. is. So yeah. I have to call you doctor. No, you don't have to call me You have doctor. to call me sir, <laughs> yeah. just to be clear. No problem. Uh, so Mitch is here with us today to talk about some pretty interesting stuff. We're going to talk about energy and quantum physics. I bet we get into mathematics a little bit. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about music and art and science, I think. Global health, which is, I, I'm, I can't wait to see where we, uh, and, and about a guy by the name of Dr. Bird. I have no idea who that is. Um, but I want to talk, uh, Mitch, before we get rolling, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your sort of, I guess, uh, um, what's the word I'm, I'm going to say epistemological shift uh, sorry I just lost all my listeners um, but you know what I mean your your your, your shift and your your worldview mm-hmm. changed fairly recently and it had to do with open heart surgery pretty significant phys- you know on a physical level 
tell, tell us a little bit about that, how it turned your life up, upside down. You look pretty healthy to me, by the way. Yeah, well, thank you, yeah. No, um, it really was. I mean, this, this all, my journey kind of started about six or seven years ago. And I was about a year into my um, private practice in radiology and really kind of starting a, a new career. Um, had a lot of financial success, professional success, but yet there was something grumbling inside of me at, at that, still at that point that there was something missing um, in life. And it turns out um, within that year, I was told I needed uh, urgent open heart surgery for a condition called a hypertrophic. How old are you? I'm 30. Presently, I'm 39. So what, you were in your 20s? I was, I was about 32 Wow. when this happened, yeah. In your 20s, yeah. Can you tell I failed that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And we're, oh yeah, by the way, everyone, we're at Humber College, so that was a real sort of little slant, disrespectful nod towards the <laughs> academic institution. Yeah, Peck doesn't know how to add and or subtract. Okay, so you're pretty young, I was, and you've been told you got to have peak open. of my career, wow. told needed to have open heart surgery. I mean, it just changed my entire life. Um I experienced healthcare as a patient, mm. and that was mm. it was an eye-opening experience. I bet it was. I uh, started to realize how limited of scope our healthcare system um, is, and really starting to realize how um, the system itself was just not working. Um, we've created a, a very industrialized type of healthcare program, and interestingly, as I came back to work. I became a department chair of radiology, so I, it was like a crash course in learning the politics, the financial flows of healthcare design, and I started to understand um, acutely why the system was broken, and um, not only was it of limited scope, but the, the system itself. So broken, broken in what sense? Didn't have enough supplies, or just kind of not relational, or, or the nurses were miserable? I mean, what? People, well, you know, the system is designed to, it's industrialized. So the system is designed to function with as little resources as possible. Mm, so, you know, the, the system will suck the life out of the people working in the hospital within five years. So how do we revive life in patients? So you saw, so you saw fatigue in the staff, in other Very words. Much. Not that it wasn't so much that they didn't have syringes nearby, which you're, of course you're gonna see in the, in the global south or in the majority yeah. world, but it was the actual capacity of the people around you, your, your caregivers. Absolutely, the caregivers were burned out. Hmm. There's compassion fatigue, hmm. um, poor you know um, information transfer, handover. Um, you know, it was just. Were you? Did you ever feel? You must have felt like a number. Oh yes, I right. felt like a car. Did you read? Were Not you reading 1984 while you were? Uh, <laughs> no, but you know George Orwell came um, in handy. You know, I, 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 it was really astonishing, you I know, to, to feel, I felt like um, it was dehumanizing experience when I was at the most vulnerable point in my life. I and mean, it really kicked, you know, it really knocked, uh, knocked me out from a so physical. So ironic, eh? It's yeah. so ironic. And yet, structurally, it looks to me like they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, now right? I'm, I'm back. I mean, I'm healthy, but a big part of my healing was not just the physical, but it's the mental, the psychological, and nobody really talks about it, even mm. though it's in the medical literature. Mm. But yet there's nothing in the system available to help people deal with that aspect, the psychological effects, let alone we're struggling to deal with the physical you know, uh, healing aspects. And the system is, you know, it's essentially creating a revolving door. There's not enough physical resources 
to... Um, so tell me a little bit more about that, though. You mean the psychological aspects. Do you mean from a mental health perspective? Is that what you mean? Like that you, you could have benefited from a, a therapist, perhaps, or somebody to talk to? Is that sort of the kind Absolutely. of... Absolutely. Or even a group. Mm. Group there. People mm. going through, sharing stories. Mm. You know, going mm. through similar experiences. Um, you know, and, and that um, kind of disruption in both the physical and the psychological states... I think then gave an opportunity for me to kind of start diving into mind-body spectrum of, of connection, of a new sense of health in a more holistic um, way. And that was kind of how my healing kind of started really taking place as I went to India and started studying in ashrams and starting to identify that there was a connection between my mind and my body and um, how you can harness that. So is there, like, if you and I were doing this interview 10 years ago, or 15, let's say, maybe, would you have been more Mr. Scientist? Oh, yeah. Or 2 plus 2 equals 4 kind Absolutely. of guy? Very much more deterministic in thought. I mean, that's what our textbooks teach us. I mean, that's how we're taught. We're taught, we're, we're trained to think in a very um, deterministic way. Um, the medical programs at that point, and it's not even that long ago, maybe, what, 15 years ago, um, you know, we would have a couple of sessions over four years of medical school dealing with empathy, dealing with, you know, bedside manner, the psychological effects of health. And, you know, a lot of this really now we're starting to understand that this is the crux of healthcare. This is where we need to really shift our efforts. It's so weird to me, you know, you go, you go, you visit your GP or, and I'm obviously talking very sweet, massive sweeping generalizations here. So deeply problematic mm -hmm. on a variety of levels. However, uh, stress, mm -hmm. stress. So we talk about stress, we read about stress, we say stress is connected to everything and it seems like the medical community knows that. Well, isn't that connected very much to the whole notion of being more relational and attending to things that are stressful? So a community having a voice, telling your story, mm -hmm. all the things that it seems the medical community or at least a, a large portion of it don't have the skill to, to handle. You know, you're like you say, you're kind of a number. You're a prescription. Absolutely. Here's, you know, we'll we'll treat you with a medication or or it's. I mean, I've had uh, I had issues uh, a few years ago, IBS like issues. I got a bug while I was traveling uh, over eighteen months, two years, lost a ton of weight. That cancer scare, believe it mm -hmm. or not. So I too, not in the same way you did, but I was able to see the healthcare system in a new way. And what a difference, you know. I'll never forget this nephrologist that I saw, a kidney doctor. He spent over an hour with me. Mm -hmm. And he pulled up documents and records from other doctors and tried to make connections. And I'll never forget calling Elizabeth, my wife, and saying, holy smokes, he treated me like a human mm -hmm. being. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. You right? Know, it's, it's, yeah. And, yeah. And, that's, and sadly, it seems like, what, from what I'm hearing you're saying, is that's the anomaly. It, 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 unfortunately, it is. I mean, and there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, if you think about healthcare dollars, there's mm -hmm. not enough to go around. Right. And unfortunately, right. administration's very focused on how are we going to keep the doors open to provide excellence in care. They're not thinking about innovation. They're not thinking about social capacity or community engagement. Hmm. They like to talk about it, right. but unfortunately, there's just no money. There's no real interest to be able to dive into those areas. Um, and it's unfortunately... That's what's required for a true health. So, so you, so, so it sounds like you, you, you went east. Mm -hmm. You went. You spent some time in India. Sounds like you, you, you got back to your body, as it were, as a result of this massive physiological upheaval in your life. This surgery, 
did did you kind of like have an epiphany on the on your bed in, in the hospital going I'm gonna go find myself no. is that sort of what happened no you know what it, it, it actually was a, a journey that spanned about five or six years it started off um, actually with music hmm. and uh, actually going and spending time I, I was lucky enough to have opportunities to um, take time to heal and I spent time in Jamaica on the beaches escaping this rat race and having an opportunity just to listen. So as I was expanding uh, my mind with you know music, um, I was also spending a lot of time just listening. And as that process you know helped me um, start to understand my inner self and, the, and understand that there is a connection between my mind and body, um, the journey just kept spiraling you know and, and really um, the opportunity to go to India was really serendipitous um, you know I wasn't looking for it it came to me and that got me plugged into a, an interesting network of schools and corporations that are dealing with sustainability and social innovation and was very focused on mindfulness so I had a really interesting opportunity to start studying um, at different ashrams and different schools and different swamis and helping understand the ancient Eastern Ayurvedic medicine where it is a more focused on the mind, the body, the community as being one. And that's how, and interestingly, that's how Western healthcare is now heading. We call it biopsychosocial health or mind-body medicine. Well, these are all concepts rooted from the East. And so our Western technology, our Western science is now catching up with the science of spirituality. And that's 10 years of research that you just can't so stick you, a shake. You, you're not saying throw out the one and take the other. You, no. want, to, you want to see a blend. Yeah, you, you're still uh, a scientist. Absolutely. We need integrated healthcare. I mean, we need a new holistic model that can incorporate an understanding of Western medicine, but also... Um, it has to be, um, you know, rooted in this understanding that the mind, the body are connected. Why, why the suspicion? Why is it that the scientific community seems to be so suspicious of this kind of thinking or this kind of talk or, or uh, you know, the kind of the anti-stress-like environment? And yet, almost all of these folks that I know who live in and breathe that world would admit that stress is a killer. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly a, an empirical thing, it seems to me. I mean, maybe it is, and maybe it's becoming more empirical in that sense, more evidence-based. Mm -hmm. But there is a suspicion, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Well, that's, oh, geez, now you're starting to sound a little too religious. Now you're yeah. starting to sound a little too spiritual. It's or fluffy. Eastern, it's fluffy. It's, it's flaky, fluffy. right? Yeah. Um, that's been the culture, you know, and, and I, I do see it's changing. You know, interesting. It is changing. Um, a lot of it is because of the empirical data that's coming out. Mm. But I think a big part is, you know, it's the way that we are trained. It's the tradition of medicine. And you're also dealing with physicians. Physicians are humans. And now these are the same people that, you know, if they're not mindful, if they don't understand the mind-body spectrum, and then how can they treat or teach that in their patients? So I really believe that we need to connect with the physicians and our healthcare students and personnel first and foremost. They need to learn heal themselves so, so that they become be get better them, healers. Get them while they're young, basically, yeah, is what you're saying. Oh, absolutely.
hundred percent. And and, it, and is that shifting from an academic is. perspective? Like yeah. you're, you're, you you know of training that is there's occurring more at a conferences. Level and... Absolutely, yeah. There's mm -hmm. more conferences mm -hmm. that are happening, um, not you know not just globe you know globally, but even here in Ontario, I'm seeing now you know um, mindful weeks conferences taking place. People are really diving into it, and unfortunately, trying to put something new into a healthcare system that's so entrenched in itself. It's so difficult to create any degree of culture change in our hospitals and our networks. I bet. And so that's why, you know, with this Dr. Bird project, um, you know, the, the aim is to say, look, if we have all this new information, let's create a new system that we can leverage and capitalize on all of this new data, new understandings, new perspectives of our sense of self and each other, and create this new global community of global consciousness. Before you tell me about before you tell me about Dr. Bird and what's going on there is excellence in healthcare can it be defined as being a better being better human beings <laughs> um, being more relational is is that is that a kind of a I mean I, maybe an oversimplification on one level I, but I think you know what I mean look true healthcare being, being a better neighbor Yeah absolutely I mean it, we now understand that David Peck's health is not just looking at David Peck we now have to look at everybody around mm, David. Nice, interesting. So your so your health is a directly related to the people around you. If the people around you are stressed, those brain waves are going to help. They're going to resonate with your brain waves, and then you become stressed. You know, and and so our whole concept of healthcare is not just now focused on the individual. It's a spectrum of you, your mind, but also who's around you, your family, your loved ones, your community. It's so many different levels. And so the idea of you know, being a better neighbor or being a better person for you to get rooted in your own sense of self, that's the key to a new healthcare program. And you wanna create proactive health, it's not gonna come from a system where you're reading a pamphlet in your doctor's office when you're already sick. It's like, what can we do while you're healthy to promote even better health? So it, it, it's, it's really it's a paradigm shift. During my, my bug phase, that almost a two and a half year period that I struggled, lost a ton of weight, et cetera, as I mentioned earlier, I remember visiting a naturopath and one of a couple of things that she said um, really stuck with me and have continued to stick with me. One was she, talk, she actually talked about spending more time with my children. Mm -hmm. And then she talked about hugging my kids more often than not. And she talked about music. Mm -hmm. Oh, and she was also the same woman, I believe, who talked about sort of intestinal massage, like mm -hmm. actually rubbing my belly in a way that you're, and I just, I remember thinking, ah, oh, she's a loony, mm -hmm. not at all, but even for somebody who is wide open to this kind of thing, I still kind of went, oh, come on, can't you just mm -hmm. give me something? Yeah. Like, can't you just give me a friggin' solution to this? Mm -hmm. what you, but what I love about it is it, it totally resonates with what you're saying, community people around you, uh, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but it's interesting, I mean, what you're describing is what a lot of patients, when they come to the hospital, they want somebody to give them something to help improve their health. But what science is now showing us is that your health can be influenced by the way that you think. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, you know, this is not just, uh, you know, fluff or, you know, science fiction. We have studies that actually show us the direct relationships of your mindful thoughts having a direct effect on the, how you express your genetic information. 
you upregulate, you increase the activity of your good genes by sometimes 17 times. At the same time, the bad genes that causes inflammation, which results in strokes or cancer, is downregulated. It's turned down by, by around seven times. So we now understand that it's not necessarily always about a pill. It's about how you can live to change your mindset, which then has a direct effect on your genes. And that's health. I love the fact that you're a radiologist. You've been looking inside people's bodies for, yeah. for, for so many years. It cracks me up. It's such a brilliant metaphor on some levels because uh, there must be times where you've, um, you've looked at x-rays and said, okay, there's a problem here, but I can't see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. You've, got the, you've got the picture in front of you. You've got a crystal clear. And you specialized in MRIs, I believe. Yes. Yeah. You don't get much of a better picture from my understanding, right? Yeah. I mean, That's the best picture you can You can dissect the human body without even touching a scalpel blade. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, and still not had an answer. Yeah. Right? On one level, it's a great metaphor, right, for something, and and, and also got to be pretty frustrating from a yeah. from a medical perspective. Yeah, and and absolutely, I mean, from a professional perspective, yes, you know, it's it can be frustrating, um, but interestingly, you know, in the men, in, in the medical community, it creates a lot of, you know, unfortunately, the medical community is a very ego driven. Oh, I bet. Industry. You I know. bet it is. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised I that some ER. people... I watched ER. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember George Clooney. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how some of these people get their heads through the doors. Mm. Um, and so the, the environment in healthcare, unfortunately, is that everyone's got their finger ready to point at anyone's mistake. And so the idea that, you know, you feel taller when you cut others' heads off, this is, unfortunately, I don't think it's just, you know, specific to healthcare. I think it's, you know, it's... Uh, it pervades a lot of other industries, mm -hmm. but you can imagine in healthcare when you're dealing with people's lives, now everything is more of a legal issue. We don't look at patients anymore as humans. We see them as people occupying beds, occupying resources. Our whole healthcare financial streams now don't focus on David Peck. They focus on you know, your diagnosis. Mm. And so everything is now being driven by a dollar rather than the humanity. And so this is, you know, it's, it's becoming, um, I think I, I truly believe we're hitting a tipping point um, in healthcare. So you want to talk about global health, and I want to talk about that with you. Um, and you, it sounds like, you know, very much holistic uh, approach pretty much to everything. That's mm. kind of what the shift was for you. Tell me a little bit about uh, this guy, Dr. Bird. Well, or is it an actual bird? It, it's uh, it's an it's a real bird. Oh, it is uh, a bird. It is, oh, yeah. There it's you go. cool. It is Jamaica's national bird. And the bird's called Dr. Bird. It's called a Dr. Bird. It's a specific type of hummingbird that you can only find in Jamaica. Them. Love hummingbirds. They're yeah. so amazing. Yeah, the, and this, really, it's like a magic trick. Yeah, yeah, right? you're right. Just, yeah. so you watch them. You go, how, did they, how do you just, do that? Just floats. Yeah, it's it's. It's pretty I remember, actually, I remember, you know, Elizabeth and I, we were in Costa Rica a few years ago, and we were in, I guess, a hummingbird sanctuary. Oh, wow, it was yeah. I'm getting a shiver. It was unbelievable. It yeah. was crazy. It was, they were just, like, and clearly they were customized or whatever, mm -hmm. domesticized, I suppose, to, to tourists. And they were, they were just so close, and you could hear the buzz and the hum, and just, yeah, really fascinating. It's Mother Nature at its so, best. So Dr. Bird, Jamaican national bird. It's Jamaica's national bird, and this whole idea was really first conceptualized in Jamaica, and hence the namesake. And the idea is, we, I uh, spoke with the Minister of Health, 
Um, and we have about over 20 medical clinics that are earmarked for a program. And alongside these clinics, we have large amounts of land. And the idea... Who's we? Well, the Dr. Bird project. Oh, it's an actual project. So this is yes. like an NGO, is it? Uh, it's a, it's a, a registered Canadian charity. Nice. That's part of a larger social entrepreneurial program. Cool. And, 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 and primarily in Jamaica now, with the hope to reach out? or No, it's actually, um, our focus is actually initiating in Canada okay. through music and artistic educational platforms that help teach um, students and communities the coping skills to deal with stress. So it's kind of a mental health. And we're teaching the skills of mindfulness and empowering them with the knowledge of how they how to understand how the hard and the soft sciences are now merging. Math, quantum physics, biology are merging with the science of mind. And empower people with this knowledge. Let's create platforms that encourage them to incorporate mindful practices in their lives. And most importantly, how can we create a brand new healthcare paradigm that uses this information, this mind-body spectrum from the ground up. And hence, Jamaica is a place where we can create global health elective programs for students, create a vacation volunteer program for families and other uh, volunteers to come work, play and learn together with local Jamaican communities to build this new proactive healthcare model. And so it creates now, and it's all fueled by music and by arts, and we're helping create new benchmarks of an, an, of an understanding of how an integrated healthcare program can function and perhaps when people go back to their home uh, native uh, schools or hospitals or anything really, um, they're taking these lessons with them and perhaps trying to change their home uh, programs or their home hospitals. So are you, are you a, an instructor in the, under, under this Dr. Bird umbrella? Are you, are you like an advocate? Do you want to start a chapter? Is that what, what, what's your sort or maybe all of the above? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I am currently um, lecturing with students, holding workshops um, and focusing on very easy ways to help people understand mindfulness and how to practice very simple, how to practice meditation or other mindful techniques. Um, and so my role is more of an educator, but also um, I want to help create a new healthcare system that's intuitive, that makes sense, that's patient-centered and evidence-based. You talk to any administrator in North America, they always use the buzzwords of patient-centered right. care yeah, and evidence-based yeah. But you know what? It's not. Yeah, you know what, I mean, this, the, the pendulum has swung. And I would love to have a conversation with any administrators to, you know, discuss this. But um, so, so when you say meditation, um, being more mindful and so on, do you want those egomaniacal doctors that you were talking about earlier who can't get their heads into the room, do you want them to be practicing yoga on their spare time? I mean, this is an oversimplification. Or do you want to be seeing that? happening at a bureaucratic level, at an administrative level, so it's institutionalized in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, you had talked earlier about, you know, getting to students, and you're teaching students, yeah. you're, you're lecturing. So, you know, you get in at that level. So mm -hmm. it's, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, is this holistic approach top down and bottom up? I Absolutely. Suppose. Yeah. Not yeah. just for the healthcare providers, but also for patients. So I believe that if we're teaching medical students, we now, we can say, look, you're going to learn medicine anywhere. You come to Jamaica, 
not only will you learn the medicine, but you're going to learn the mind-body spectrum. You're going to learn in a very holistic environment. And we're going to get you to learn how to deal, how to interact with community, interact with patients in this new context of understanding. Well, it's the way, you know, it's interesting. It's the way, you know, it's interesting we're sitting here at the Humber College in the international development uh, arm of the school and the business school. You talked about listening earlier. This is a good development worker, somebody mm -hmm. who listens, somebody who crosses cultures, somebody who works within other communities, somebody yeah. who embraces all that language that sounds on a level potentially kind of flaky, mm -hmm. which you and I both know that it's not, yeah. if it's actually playing itself out in a meaningful and transparent and authentic way. Absolutely. Uh, if it's just if it's just patient-centered care, mm -hmm. and it's in italics, and it's on a piece of paper, well, then it's not doing anyone any good. But if it truly is patient-centered care, mm -hmm. now we're talking, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it, it, it's very powerful. And we now have so much evidence. I mean, we have medical imaging that shows that the brain actually thickens in gray matter in certain areas and shrinks in different areas just through meditation. So you are you one of these neuroplasticity guys? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Deutsch, the brain changes itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're at the age of neuroplasticity. We're at an age of understanding the epigenetics and the bacterial microbiome. I mean, all of this is now expanding our understanding of our genetics. The books that I used to study, focusing on the genes, saying, okay, you were born with these set of genes and very deterministic. Deterministic. That's no more. Right. That's completely false. And the fact of the matter is we do have so much control over the genetic expressions. And people don't realize that every time you blink, you breathe, you feel happy, you feel sad or anxious, anytime you sweat, anytime you do anything, all of it, all of it is under the control of Fa your genes. Fa father of modern calculus, Pascal, one of my favorite philosophers who, who, who died at a way too young of an age, wrote the Palsé, which is just a collection of thoughts. He said the heart has its reasons that the head cannot know. And mm -hmm. as you were talking about this genetics and how it's turned mm -hmm. around and from a deterministic to a way more of a sort of a free will almost mm -hmm. perspective, there's choice, there's there's uh, emotions matter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I just went there and I thought, wow, wow. He, he nailed it in the 17th century, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he yeah, created yeah. calculus, which I, you know, yeah. hold him accountable for it, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> but, but at this, I've, I, I, you know, calc I've, I'm sure I've said this on a podcast somewhere before, but I, a calculus exam, I cheated. Sorry, mm -hmm. Mr. Anderson, but I did cheat on one of your tests. <laughs> and you know what the sad thing is, uh, Mitch? I still only barely passed the course. I got 50, <laughs> 52%. Well, yeah, yeah. I, you would think you would have thought I would have picked somebody else to cheat from, right? Yeah. So, what I love, what I'm hearing is, I don't know, just the interconnected like nature of it all. Again, we are, you know, and I agree with you. We are hearing the story more. We're reading articles about it. It mm. makes the cover of Maclean's and Times and 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 so on. I still think though, there's a long way to go mm -hmm. from from convincing that 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 surgeon who believes in the instrument absolutely who believes in the the, the 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 chemistry of it the mechanics of it the the scientific capital s approach mm -hmm. right yep absolutely i mean there is still i'd say the vast majority of physicians still are not working in this context of understanding of true health and again there's a lot of reasons for it i mean i can tell you it's a great question. What is true health? True, yeah. True health is mind, body, and spirit. 
um, you, you know what, sure, my heart mended, um, but if I had not, you know, kind of experienced what I went through, um, I'd still be an empty shell, you know, and... How, how long were you in hospital? Uh, I was in hospital for about three to four weeks. Yeah, so significant stay. So why is it though, you know, and, and this fascinates me, how is it that people change? Why is it that you shifted your thinking? Why, why did you sort of wake up on a different side of the bed as a result of this experience and not just go, well, ah, it's the system and went back to your job and, and pursued what you did and excelled at, uh, you know, your MRI speciality mm. and made lots of money. Like, I'm always fascinated by folks like you who somehow got, like you said, there's a tipping point occurring or mm. we're getting closer to that. You know, what, can you can you put your finger on that? I mean, it's never it's that hard. simple, yeah, right? It, it's a process, right? And yeah. it's over time, and I get that. But was it a book you were reading? Was it a person you, you know, was it, it a film you saw, you know? It was music. Hmm. You know, I mean, in, in, in the ancient Eastern philosophy, music is the key to open space. One of the five elements that make up all of the universe. And... I really believe that as the music started to mature and build into my life, um, the more that my mind started diving in and diving deeper into these issues. And I started thinking more and more about the social issues. I mean, as a medical student, I was in Jamaica and I volunteered. I always had this kind of sense of giving back, uh, social unjust. But I think at that point where... It just changed. It you, took you, over. You did start out sort of the interview by saying something along the lines. You had this sense that, you know, you'd been six or seven already years in private radiology, mm. but that there was something not quite right. Or yeah. there was this sense of, you know, I thought of the dis-ease. There was this something missing in your yeah, words. It was very, yeah, it felt very empty. And, you know, speaking so, to but friends. But Mitch, yeah. most of us ignore that, don't we? I most think, of us ignore that calling, I think. Or am I, I being too cynical? I, I, I think so. I think a lot of people, look, there's a lot of fear. There's right. a lot of fear in life. Um, there's, you know, a lot of people either are living still in the past or are focused too much on the future and don't realize that all mm. we have is the present day. And so I think you're right. I think a lot of people are not really focused on who they are. And really, if you ask people, what's your passion? A lot of people don't know what their passion mm. is because they never had that opportunity to really figure it out. The system is not designed for us to figure out what makes us happy or how to define our success. The system is designed to make us go into a survival mode and do what we have to do and live a life of mediocrity. Do you think too many people live uh, in this mediocre kind of um, space? I mean, it sounds kind of judgmental on one level, but I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, maybe status yeah. quo is a better, let's just yeah. do what we need to do to get through, you know, uh, different kind of ethic that I use between mm -hmm. 8.30 and 4.30 or 9 to 5, and then I'll switch that mindset off, mm -hmm. and then I'll, you know, very dualistic, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Not holistic at all. No. Not connected, not relational, right? Yeah. It's got to get through this because that's how I get my paycheck, yeah. and then I can get home to my family. Absolutely. And, and that's why, you know, if we're, I mean, there's a shift. I really believe that there's a shift that's been happening over the last, you know, 10 to 20 years. Some of the books that we're reading now about, uh, you know, mind, body, um, spirituality, really, you know, I, I, people were not reading these books. These were not on the national bestseller lists. But anything, anything come to mind that that, uh, that like was Eckhart Tolle, kind of Eckhart Tolle's, you know, his philosophies, his writings, um, you know, extremely powerful, right on the money, 
But these are ideas that, you know, 30 years ago, mm. again, would be laughed out. Best book I've ever read, and I haven't read many on mindfulness, but Thich Nhat Hanh, Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Buddhist, uh, very big during the Vietnam War, I believe so. I think, I think mm -hmm. he's still alive. Wrote The Miracle of Mindfulness, very small mm -hmm. book, great read. Everybody should run out and get it, honestly. It's not I'm an expensive to. read. But, and I know that I've talked about this several times in the past because it's such a great thing, I think. And, and it's so hard for me to do because I am doing yoga now mm -hmm. and I'm trying to meditate and I live in my head. I don't live in my heart. I, I'm constantly trying to get across that bridge because I believe mm -hmm. the bridge exists. Mm -hmm. I just got to figure out how the heck to get across it, right? Mm -hmm. They're already connected. So I spend all this time in my head. So I, go, I, I do the yoga thing and I end up reading this book and he's got this great piece on if you're washing dishes, wash dishes. Mm -hmm. Don't wash dishes to get to the next task. Mm -hmm. So and I, and I do try to wash dishes, but by, I gotta be honest with you, Mitch, I don't ever really wash dishes. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm 50 and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And so between now and the time they lay me in the grave, hopefully I'll learn how to wash dishes just mm -hmm. a little more, in a, in a little more of a focused way, Yeah, you know? Yep. It's it's a it's a struggle. Yeah, and, and and you know what? That's that's the biggest, I guess, hurdle that I hear when people when we're talking about mindfulness is that the mind is constantly racing. You know, the mind is designed to uh, continuously bounce ideas, bounce thoughts through the mind. That's what we're designed. You know, through you know thousands and thousands of years of evolution. And what's interesting is. There are techniques that can be used and can be learned very easily that will slow those thoughts down. Because the moment those thoughts are really almost like the noise, the static. I, I find large quantities of vodka do that very, very, <laughs> yeah, that will do very it, yeah. effectively. Yeah. yeah. Except for the next morning with a right. bit large yeah. headache. <laughs> yeah. So, so Dr. Bird, you're, you're, you're involved in this. You're also lecturing to students. Uh, I believe you're working a little bit with Conestoga College. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. You, you, you had talked about uh, one of the classes, I think, was in information technology. Mm -hmm. Another class had to do with um, something that, when you mentioned it to me earlier, seemed totally unrelated to the work that you're doing. How are mm -hmm. you injecting this mindfulness into what apparently seemed to be pretty detached kind of um, disciplines. Yeah. Well, um, so it's interesting. I, um, I find that mindfulness is the key to creativity, and creativity really has roots in every aspect. Either you want to be an agent of social change, you want to be an engineer, uh, a physician, and so my involvement with Conestoga to date has been um, I've been um, involved and in guest lecturing. Um, with IT software design students and also with journalism students. And the idea is I'm using art. I'm using art to demonstrate geometry. Hmm. Geometry is mathematics. It's a language. This specific geometry is what is helping us understand our mind-body connection. So I'm teaching students how to think outside the box using art and using the art and the music as a ploy to get people to start thinking about mindfulness in this new light, get them practicing, and how does that actually apply to their passion? So, I mean, I know nothing about IT software design, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I know about geometry, I know I'm an artist, I know about energy. So it's enough to give them the foundations and then they can run with it. Once they understand the seed of thought, there's a nexus of opportunity. doesn't matter where your passion or your area of study is. Um, so the students, are putting on, you know, I, I, we create educational projects, educational outcomes, and that's part of their schoolwork. Um, their professor will grade their 
arts and uh, projects and their creative contents can be used um, through the Dr. Bird um, platform, our Facebook and our uh, webpage, and this becomes um, a creative outlet for students to demonstrate what they're learning and how what they're learning can be applied to a new uh, community health program. Just before we get uber practical, we're going to have to wrap up in a minute mm -hmm. or two, but uh, tell us about the Facebook page and the website or where, the, where we can find out a little sure. bit more about what's going on. Well, the, the uh, Dr. Bird um, Project Facebook um, is live and um, we have a bunch of journalism students basically find creative ways to educate the masses on mm -hmm. what we're doing what we're all about. Um, so that's been really successful and the students have been, I mean, really excited, really um, enthusiastic about this project and a number of them now want to continue on working with us and help build this kind of student community that can really, um, uh, we believe, go viral and turn into a much broader global movement. Um, and so the the Facebook page is up and uh, it's got lots of videos and different content. Search, search Dr. Bird, we can find it? Yes, Dr. Okay. Bird, yeah, Dr. Awesome. Bird Project, you'll nice. find it. The web page is under construction, uh, drbirdproject.org. Well, hopefully by the time this goes yes. live, uh, um, it will be live as well. Yes. We'll, we'll put a link for people. Check, to, check out uh, Mitch's bio. Uh, there'll be a link there, and I'm sure you'll be announcing it on your Facebook page anyway, yes. right? Yes. So how can I be more mindful? Give me, give me a tool for my toolbox, something, something that uh, me, uh, my listeners can, sure. can take away. Well, one of the easiest things I find is the breath. Now, we breathe automatically. I mean, when I'm breathing, I'm not even thinking about it. But the moment that you actually take the time to concentrate on your breath, that is the first step to be able to start connecting your mind to your body. And it's really as easy as just escaping to a quiet room, you know, maybe even the bathroom, if you need to get away, and you start taking nice, deep breaths. Inhale through the nose, exhale through your mouth. And it's really just feeling the sensation of the air moving in and out of your lungs, in and out of your chest, how your body feels, that is the first step to slow everything down and to get you connected. So already while you were talking, I was starting to focus on my breath. By the time you got to the period in your sentence, I'd forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> That's how good I am at washing yeah. <laughs> dishes. That's how good. When I, when I do yoga, I remember saying to my yoga teacher the first time I went, her, her name's Shelly and she's awesome. And I do restorative yoga, so we hold poses for a long period of time. It's not sort of the hatha, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, hot yoga. I, 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 I'd pass out if that was I was doing that. I love the mindful restorative edge, and I said to her, "Oh man, within seconds of you getting me to focus on my breathing, I'm honestly thinking about rearranging my sock drawer." Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she laughs out loud. She goes, "Listen, I've been doing this for I don't know whatever how many years, and it happens to me all the time." Yeah, and she absolutely. said, "Even the greatest, uh, you know, uh, uh, meditators and and scholars." It's a constant challenge. You have to constantly come back and root yourself Absolutely. again and again and again. And it be, I guess it becomes the whole idea is that this becomes a habit. It becomes a part of our yes, life in absolutely. a way, but uh, and becomes as simple as breathing. Absolutely, <laughs> and and it's really interesting. It's almost the way I look at mindfulness is that I think of it like going to the gym. We know we now know that the mind is like a muscle. You can wire the brain by practice. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that just like how we can go to the gym to make our muscles big, we could kind of go to the gym for our mind. And you know, there may be lots of different um, exercise machines. 
It's a matter of you finding the machine that you like, the exercise right, that you right, like the most. Right. And so there are very interesting, you know, I asked a Swami that exact question, like how do you prevent these thoughts? I mean, it's like mm -hmm. a monkey mind is Guard. just bouncing around. And, you know, he described a really interesting technique. And that's, you know, all about uh, on your exhale, when you're concentrating on your breath, you start in your mind, you start um, uh, telling yourself or, or you, you yell, Om. You know, right. this ohm. Ohm. And, and, yeah. and just for an extended, for your entire exhale. And you're yelling it so loud in your mind that you, you almost feel like your neighbor can hear you or the universe can hear you. And eventually, because you're saying it, you're concentrating on it so much, it pushes the thoughts out of your mind. You can't think of anything else. And it's really interesting, you know, we can talk about maybe perhaps another time. But we're starting to get to understand that there's a vibrational, tactile mm. component to all this. For sure. I was, uh, yeah, the resonant quality of it and, and how that sort of the ohm through the body and so on. I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be a, a connection there for sure. 100%. With respect to, to just disciplining ourselves uh, to become a little bit more mindful. Mitch, thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure. I wish we could go on. Mitch Abrams, he's a, uh, a radiologist who specializes in MRIs, but so much more, uh, lecturing at Conestoga College, and also uh, check out the project that he's on. It's called the Dr. Bird Project, and it's on Facebook. And again, Mitch, thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.